Austin Zwiebelman, your angel of death awaits. You are sentenced to one week of editing the Mask of the Phantasm episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. <laughs> Hi, I am your host, Tim M. Sullivan, and with me I have... Hi, I'm the Condiment King! I'm Tanner Richard Craft. I'm the I-Word Engagement. And live from my new apartment, it's Saturday Night Live, starring Joseph Brannick, Adam Sandler, Colonel Sanders, and Salamanders. Boo, you stink! <laughs> and I'm Rain Conversi. Today we are talking about the 1993 animated blockbuster, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Chucky Saw. Batman! Your angel of death awaits. You ain't a bat! But before we talk about the film, we kind of have to talk about some of the players in the film. While we are celebrating this movie's 30th anniversary, we are also mourning some losses. Last November, Kevin Conroy, the original voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne, tragically passed away. And uh, just a few weeks ago, Arlene Sorkin, who was the original voice of Harley Quinn, also passed away. And not only was she the voice of Harley Quinn, she was the bass of the character's creation. So I just want to start off with each of us getting to say a few words about Kevin's performance as Batman. We'll start with Joe. Whenever you flip through the pages of a Batman comic book, whenever you try to picture what Batman's voice sounds like, it's Kevin Conroy's voice coming out of it. Alfred, analyze the militia forces. Troop deployments, equipment movements. It's just hard to picture anyone else doing the role you have your live action ones. You have some of your other animated ones that have tried to live up to like such a height. I mean, Kevin Conroy himself had to live up to a height that was Michael Keaton, but he took the crown and just he is Batman. The world will never be the same without. Him. Yeah, absolutely agree. Tanner, we'll go with you next. Kevin Conroy is Batman to me. All of the best pieces of Batman media, in my opinion, have him playing the character. The world is lesser without him in it, not just because of his incredible performance as Batman, but for me personally, on a personal level, the fact that the voice of Batman to me and many other people across the globe is the voice of a gay man, I find to be very important to me. When I think of Batman, the first thing I think is Kevin Conroy's voice saying... Yeah, absolutely. Rain, you next. Man, I picked a really bad time to put this uh, silly mask on. <laughs> when we're all talking about he is the best Batman voice, the best Batman performance. It's also great. He seemed like a wonderful guy, too, on top of everything else. I've told Bruce and Paul from the beginning that I thought Batman is the real character, and Bruce Wayne is the disguise. I like the show in general that he got to start with with Batman. He just has the perfect blend of what you would want playing a character like Batman. Like a larger than life gravitas. But on the same level also just very human. Fantastic performance from a fantastic actor. He's the platonic ideal of Batman. Yeah, for sure. Austin. Kevin Conroy was Batman for over three decades. Longer than any other actor has been Batman. And he landed on some of the most beloved, densely layered Batman properties. Like, sometimes I'd wonder if we'd give Tobey Maguire as much credit as Spider-Man if those Sam Raimi pictures weren't absolute knockouts. Conroy breaking the door down and doing the animated series, 
Batman Beyond, Justice League, just a solid set of circumstances that set him up to become the definitive voice of the character for an entire generation of people. What happened that made you put this on? A painful memory and a promise. Absolutely. Ethan. Yeah, it's it's difficult to really express how incredible Conroy is. Um, for the listeners slash viewers at home, I highly recommend Finding Batman, uh, Conroy's own contribution to the 2022 DC Pride Anthology, where he describes finding that voice as life as a young gay man and dealing with the loss of his father. It's incredible. He's as excellent of a writer as he is a vocal performer. But uh, Kevin Conroy is a remarkable vocal talent, uh, someone who's able to, without dramatically altering his voice, perfectly slip it the role of Bruce Wayne or Batman as needed. Come into the light. Am I speaking, yelling to him? Come into the light! And I'm so glad we get to discuss this film, which is such a great demonstration of uh, both of those modes for him. Thanks for giving us this opportunity, Tim. Absolutely. All good takes. Kevin Conroy was Batman, is Batman, will always be Batman. He is the voice that I hear when I read a Batman comic. He was the first Batman I ever experienced because the show was coming out a year before I was born. So that was just the Batman that was on TV for the first several years of my life, so I'll never be able to think of Batman without thinking of Kevin Conroy, and he's given so much in his performance as Batman. And uh, I also mentioned Arlene Sorkin, and I don't want to lessen her importance by not bringing her up a little bit. Harley Quinn, lover or hater, is one of the most significant characters in DC's lineup in this day and age, and Arlene is absolutely responsible for that. She was the embodiment of the character. She's the reason why the character exists. So I think it's important to bring that up. And after Kevin passed away, I remember Mark said shortly afterwards that uh, he probably won't ever play the Joker again because he doesn't think that his Joker can exist in a world without Kevin's Batman. And I, I have a deep respect for that. But just, just to wrap up, yeah, Kevin Conroy was the best Batman that there ever was or probably ever will be. I don't regret anything that I've done. I loved having been a part of this show. It's an honor. It's, and it's uh, how often do you get a chance like that? But let's talk about Kevin Conroy's performance as Batman in this film. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. The 1993 Christmas Day theatrical release from Warner Brothers. We will start with Ethan. Thoughts on Mask of the Phantasm? Uh, this movie's really, really good. Um, I know that's a controversial take, but no. I think this was a really remarkable, sort of stripped-down kind of Batman feature. Um, with a lot of these sorts of things, even for, you know, a direct-to-video film, and you see that a bit more in excessive, arguably, style-driven kind of films like the Batman and Mr. Freeze film and uh, the Batman Beyond film, Return of the Joker, which I think push maybe their visual elements more than this initial theatrical entry. But it strips it down to sort of the basic components, no Robin, no larger rogues gallery, uh, not mm. even Harley Quinn, uh, though Arlene Sorkin does appear uh, as the woman Bambi who gives that incredible the I-word line, <laughs> and I swear she does the vocalizations for the maid robot Hazel, but that might just be my ears playing tricks on me. It makes him nervous. What about the I-word? The I-word? Engagement. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
But no, it's just a really a remarkable adventure. Uh, kind of gives you just a shocking amount of depth for what is ostensibly a children's film. While all keeping everything PG, you get a good origin story, a sort of Batman finding his place. But it's all very tightly wound in this larger structure of romantic story. Just an exceptional Batman film. Probably my favorite overall, but <laughs> I'm also extremely biased towards cartoons and mm. extremely good Batman performances. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, you mentioned how the movie didn't have Harley Quinn. The studio did want to like keep the larger rogues gallery out of the movie, but I know Paul Dini wanted to get Harley Quinn in the movie, but they're just kind of like, it's 1993, nobody knows who the fuck Harley Quinn is. Nowadays, they'll be like, oh yeah, Harley Quinn, go throw, throw her in that movie. But yeah, Tanner, thoughts on Mask of the Phantasm? There's plenty of things to be said about Mask of the Phantasm. The animation is stunningly gorgeous. The plot is intricate. I love the environments of the movie. All the performances are fantastic. The action scenes are really well done, but all that feels secondary to the one thing. There's literally just one thing about this movie I want to talk about. It's a single scene, and if memory serves me correctly, it happens around the middle of the movie, where Batman has a flashback to a moment where after he meets this woman, he goes to his parents' grave and mm-hmm. basically begs them to let him move on. It yeah. is perhaps the single most powerful scene in all of Batman's mythos. There's a specific line reading by Conroy that really gets to me. I don't want to let you down, honest, but, but it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. Like he's filled with guilt for not feeling shittier. And I think anyone who's had to deal with the loss of someone close to you, I think that's a part of the grieving process we can all relate to when you start to move on and then you kind of feel fucking shitty for moving on. But also at the same time, and what makes it perhaps the best scene in all of Batman's mythos, it also shows this glimmer of hope for Bruce in the sense that he is in fact capable of someday maybe moving on. I know I made a promise, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Which is the great tragedy of Batman's character, I think, because I don't think his character is nearly as fascinating if there's not even at least a little sliver of maybe one day this too shall pass. It is the single greatest scene in any Batman movie. I'm hard-pressed to think of a better one, and it's just a simple scene of a man in the rain crying in front of a grave. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, That scene is just incredible. Austin, thoughts on Master of the Phantasm? Uh, To set up my review just a little, I haven't seen this film since the early 2000s when I owned it on VHS. For research, I watched that 4K remaster that just came out on the 12th, as well as the crew commentary on the YouTube channel Serum Lake with series directors Dan Reba, Kevin Altieri, and storyboard artist Brad Rader. I did not take the time to watch the Open Mat 4.3 version because uh, it's a lower resolution, and I didn't think it's like a Silent Hill situation where it makes it tremendous difference. Right off the bat, as somebody who traffics in intensity, I felt a lot of joy hearing the crew talking about how in Mask of the Phantasm, they were able to break certain Saturday morning cartoon censor rules. Mm -hmm. The laundry list that we get in the commentary is, you can't break glass, no uninterrupted punches to the face, no alcohol, no smoking, no real guns, no pinup girls on the walls, no makeouts, uh, and no mention of the mafia. And in Mask of the Phantasm, they break almost all those rules in the very 
very first scene when Batman flies through the window to stop Chucky Saul's counterfeiting scheme. Batman even bleeds in this movie, something the directors <laughs> couldn't get on the show since episode two on Leather Wings. Oh, Salvatore, why so formal? Me, Casa Nostra, es su Casa Nostra. You've seen stuff like this before in films like South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, where they're doing, like, musical numbers showcasing how many F-bombs they can drop on the silver screen. But in Mask of Phantasm, the addition of these mature images feels extremely natural. Like, those elements belong there all along, completing the puzzle making this feel like a proper 1940s noir movie. Many consider this to be the best Batman film ever made, and I am tempted to join them were it not for my undying loyalty to Chris Nolan's The Dark Knight. The tug of war for the crown is interesting here. Mask of Phantasm is this very short, perfect object, while The Dark Knight is this, like, punchy, gigantic opera. The Phantasm creative team should take serious pride in the fact their feature film that was thrown together on the side with a TV budget can compete with this Oscar-winning IMAX film with a budget of $263 million if you adjust for 2023 inflation. Save for the opening credits, CGI City, and some of the music, Mask of the Phantasm was produced with the same amount of resources used to make a few episodes of the animated series. Uh, this film has so many strong qualities, its art direction, voice acting, its score, and I'm almost inclined to say the story is my favorite one of those. The seeing the moment this particular iteration of Batman lost his hope for a normal life. The whole Batman doesn't kill thing is a topic of heavy interest for fans, and normally you see the enforcement of that explored in stories about the Joker, but in this film it's played differently. What if it's the person Bruce loves the most that is the one breaking the rule. And just like when Bruce dons the cowl and becomes Batman, it's also in the name of avenging a fallen parent. Just really great stuff for what's essentially three episodes of TV glued together with a thin layer of Halloween sprinkles on top. Mask of the Phantasm is better than it has any right to be. Another thrilling entry into the surprisingly large trophy cabinet known as Batman the Animated Series. A series that created Harley Quinn and made Mr. Freeze a serious character. And it gave us the only Batman movie that comes remotely close to being better than The Dark Knight. I always feared you would become that which you fought against. You walk the edge of that abyss every night. Hell yeah. We kind of touched on something that I was going to bring up in trivia, so I'll just kind of throw that out now. So this was originally planned to be a straight-to-video movie, but like late in production, they decided to make it a theatrical release, which gave them less than a year to change the aspect ratio to widescreen. <laughs> Cray for the animators. <laughs> Rain, thoughts on Mass of the Phantasm? Um, yeah, I guess the short version is essentially like an extra polished extended version of the show, which is, say, it has all the strengths of the show. Perfect, like, tone these films set, capturing the darkness of the Batman without, um, becoming, like, juvenile with it, which I guess is extra impressive since it is literally for children, but yeah, it feels more mature with its darkness than I feel like some of the more quote-unquote mature takes on Batman. You still following your dad's orders? The way I see it, the only one in this room controlled by his parents is you. A very uh, touching little story about grief and, you know, how it affects our ability to love other people. Honestly, I think my least favorite part is just the plot. My worry coming in that it was going to be more about the ethics of if Batman should kill than I remember it being. Gala, like the Red Hood, I am a movie. Because it's not a moral country that I find too, like, 
intellectually stimulating or whatever so which is why i'm glad that on this viewing i remember my last viewing just like loving it from beginning to end this time around it is it's a strong movie uh still probably like my top three favorite batman movies but for me it wasn't very much a movie where it was like worth watching for like the handful of really key emotional moments number one being the scene where he's you know asking if he's ready to move on and like feeling guilt for feeling like he might be ready and then the almost funny but still really tragic scene where um what's her face finds out that he's batman based on seeing him at the gray sign like his like oh fuck his uh, embarrassed reaction sorry mom but the whole world's going to seed <gasps> you but yeah the plot itself with all the mob stuff it was fine uh, i just saw it as sort of a framing device for the really strong romance between these two broken people I wouldn't call them better than A Dark Knight. This way was somewhere in my top three between Robert Paz and Batman and Batman Returns for my personal favorite Batman movie. I think it's the aesthetic of the Nolan movies that it's very petty, very, very petty. For some reason, that's what's keeping me from it, those breaking into my all-time space. Anyway, that, we're not talking about those movies. That was like three months ago. So I'm going to shut up now. Back to you, Tim. What, do you Hell hate yeah. Chicago? Maybe. All right, Joe. Uh, this movie hurted. This movie hurted a lot. Left with Dad. Too young. Need time. Forget about me. This is a very emotionally fucking charged movie for me, but if we're to just remove all of that, it's also just a really fucking great movie. Everything about this is just at, like, its peak level storytelling. Peak. Action. Peak. Like, some of the action sequences in this give The Dark Knight a run for its money. Most notably, the police chase with Batman, where he's at one point unmasked, and it's probably the most the movie ever mm. gets. The pacing is honestly at its peak. This movie moves mm. at a brisk pace and you get so much out of it, which is ungodly impressive. The look of this movie is incredible. It's got like that perfect blend of the gothic nightmare elements that uh, Frank Miller, Tim Burton, and like the early comics of Batman had, but it also has that spunky pulp noir look that the 40s, 50s comics have as as well as well the animated series like it's this perfect marriage of everything that works about batman put into a movie like holy goddamn shit a movie so good that siskel and ebert regretted not talking about it on their show that's a scene from batman mask of the phantasm a batman animated feature that was made in 1993 and roger and i never reviewed it and as far as i'm concerned we made a big mistake because it's terrific. Overall, yeah, no. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. Alfred's got a lot of fucking zingers that rival Michael Caine's. Back to you, Tim. Think Batman's as unstable as the crooks he brings in. Such rot, sir. Why, you're the very model of sanity. All right. Awesome takes all around. Yeah, I'm basically in agreement with everybody. Uh, I love this movie. I definitely would say it's one of my favorite Batman movies. I think one thing that I really grew to appreciate on this viewing is how sympathetic it makes Batman. I think it does that more so than any other Batman movie. And I think it's because you get that a sort of hopping back and forth between present day and this stuff with Andrea in the past and you get to see a more human Bruce Wayne who like genuinely wants to move on like 
And I think that that just adds a whole new dimension to the character that you don't get quite as much in any other piece of media, like especially that scene at the graveyard where he's just begging his parents to let him move on and that he didn't count on being happy. Like that's the one part of it that really gets to me is him saying those words. I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops. Let someone else take the risk. But it's different now. Please. I need it to be different now. I do always like to say that, like, Batman Begins is sort of the definitive Batman origin movie, but I think that this is also a really interesting take on, like, the origin of Batman. Like, the most iconic scene of this movie is definitely him in the cave holding the cowl for the first time. I mean, the part of that scene that always gets to me is Alfred's reaction where he just says, My God! It just adds so much weight to this reveal of him as Batman for the first time this was able to kind of push the envelope in ways that you weren't able to see on the TV show. Like, one that particularly stands out in my mind is the scene where Phantasm sees Velestra's dead body, which is just taking on some Watchmen shit. I always think that that's a really great scene. Guess the joke is on me. You're not Batman after all. A lot of great stuff. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more in general discussion. But first, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. I won't be home early after all. (sighs) Please don't take this the wrong way, sir, but your goose is cooked. And we're back from commercial. And now we got uh, two things we got to say first. You like movies? You like colors? You like palettes? We got something for you. MoviePalette.com. It's a website where you can buy palettes with thin strips of color to represent the dominant color in each frame of a movie. You can get one of basically any Batman movie you want. Even if they don't have it, you can get it custom made for a little extra. And if you enter the code SQUAD15, you'll save 15% on your order. Meanwhile, in Hollywood, SAG-AFTRA and the WGA are striking to get better conditions for writers and actors. So please help them in their plight and consider donating to one of the following funds. The Entertainment Community Fund, the Snack List, and Groceries for Writers. The links to all of these will be in the description. Donate today! And we are going right into general discussion. Uh, Who has something they want to say? I got two points to make, Tim. Yeah! My first point is I'm upset. I forgot to mention the gravesite scene and then the putting on the cowl scene. Both fantastic, like you said. But also, if I would have been on the Pacific Rim podcast, I could have called Batman my favorite kaiju because of the... (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That that set piece is a lot of fun. Um, I was going to bring that up, too. Yeah, I I love that that bit with them in the miniature set. That's so fun. Yeah, no, that whole uh, set piece of the Riot Down World's Fair thing. It's nice also because that was like where him and the lady had their... Andrea. Yeah, Andrea had their date. It's thematically cool having, like, this Epcot world of the future place because Gotham turns into a slime hole as time goes mm-hmm. on. So it's fun having mm-hmm. them be in this whole, like, we're going to have fancy cars and live in a utopia and then crime. Yeah. 
Just like the real world. When the Joker gets properly messed up, too, like his like his face uh, gets punched yeah. and like it breaks his nose, blood mm-hmm. running down, uh, his, his, his tooth. Yeah, his tooth gets knocked out. Uh, it is apparently also the kaiju bit in particular is apparently a nod to the art of Dick Sprang, um, mm. a classic. Uh, <laughs> yes, which it is also a very funny name. <laughs> You're fucking with me, right? Nope. That is not a real person's name. <laughs> uh, but yes, no, it is a nod to his own propensity for big props. In Batman, uh. so, something that I think this movie does better than, say, for instance, Batman Returns, it kind of portrays the idea of Batman kind of being a burden on Bruce Wayne. On this initial viewing, I kind of tied it to just my relationship with filmmaking. Filmmaking, as much as I love it, it does bring a lot of pain. It's not the most fun thing. And Mm. I've had a lot of like friendships and relationships just strained and just dead because of it. Going back to filmmaking is my becoming Batman, I guess. Yeah, I think Hayao Miyazaki said it best when he said, filmmaking only brings suffering. Can't believe I want to make another one. He, he's not wrong. He's that not is, fucking wrong. That is me every time I make a movie. It sucked, I hated it, I felt miserable, and it was torture the entire time. Can't wait for the next one! Uh, two things. Salvatore Valestra's nickname is The Weezer. Are you going <laughs> to finish that croissant? <laughs> I like where you went with that bit. That's good. <laughs> no, but Andrea Beaumont, I really like her character in this. I, I like that she gets to bail on Bruce twice. <laughs> she gets to, to leave uh, two pieces of jewelry with this poor man in both of his aliases uh, when she bails on him and then gets to be weirdly cryptic to Jughead. I like her characterization. Uh, she looks a bit like Poison Ivy, Bruce Tim, kind of pulling from the old well there. She gets a hook hand. In general, I just think she's a lot of fun. I've got some Andrea facts. Andrea Beaumont's name is based off the voice director for the animated series, Andrea Mm -hmm. Romano. Apparently during sound checks, Kevin Conroy would regularly be like, Andrea! Uh, (laughs) Just as like an inside joke. Somebody thought, this should be in the show. And the most direct result of that is the line where Andrea saves Bruce during the police chase. You can hear him say it kind of like he did in the sound checks. Andrea... Appearance-wise, Beaumont is based off Lauren Bacall. Storyboard artist uh, Brad Rader bought a bunch of laser discs of Lauren Bacall movies the night he had to design the love interest. I don't think she's really made any comic appearances, really, which I think I appreciate because there's not really, besides like the specific context of the story, there's only so much you can do with you know another person like Batman except they're willing to kill. She has a cameo in the Justice League Unlimited episode epilogue, but they don't do much with her. It's just sort of part of this weird what if they had a whole conspiracy to design Batman Beyond? It's it's odd. I kind of like that. Not because it's good, but because it is the single funniest thing to happen in the history of Batman. Um, <laughs> You're right. I gotta say, in terms of Andrea Phantasm, whatever, I gotta say, for me personally, in terms of Batman media, where Batman is played by Kevin Conroy, in which the villain is an original character, I gotta say that Phantasm is a lot better than the Arkham Knight. <laughs> yep. God. Yeah. Tim, you touched on this earlier. Uh, I just want to uh, pose the question, is there a more heartbreaking line in a superhero movie than I didn't count on being happy? I don't think there's a more heartbreaking movie in movies. That hurts. The only, like, 
quote that I can think of is that like bit in Spider-Man 2. It's after the scene where he rescues the little girl from the fire and he fails to save the other guy. And he's looking out the window of his apartment and that, am I not supposed to have what I want? Just that line. It's the same vibe. But like, I think the difference is, is that like Peter there is like, was happy. And then he's like, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to be happy. Saying I'm not supposed to be happy is not as heartbreaking for me as... I didn't count on being happy. Like, being happy wasn't something he was allowed to be. Did you guys know Batman the Animated Series was animated on black paper instead of white paper? They did it backwards. That makes sense. This movie is one of those pieces of media that makes me wonder if the Joker toxin includes marijuana. Just because of that scene where Arthur is in the hospital laughing and then he sees Batman and just goes, Oh! because I have been exactly there. Uh, discussing the, the film's actual animation, kind of going into more technical minutia, is uh, this was done by Dong Yang Animation, a South Korean studio, and one of the certainly one of the better in-between houses in South Korea at the time. They do really good work. It's like, again, maybe not as stylized as their work on the later Mr. Freeze film, and maybe not as satisfying as uh, Tokyo Movie Shinja's work on Return of the Joker, mm-hmm. but it's super stylish. The storyboarding mm-hmm. here is excellent as well, um, and complements it. There's a lot of great like facial acting going on here. Uh, the mob bosses are a lot of of fun. That scene where Arthur Reeves slams a car door on him after getting out, Sal is making the funniest expression. Yeah, yeah, Valestra's uh, jowls in particular they have a lot of fun with. He's good at, like, overextending his mouth. This movie prominently features mob bosses, much like uh, the week before last, when we discussed Battles Without Iron Humanity, and all I could think of is uh, Phantasm showing up at Yamamori's door. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's just that kid who showed up at Bortisugawara's door. There's this one establishing shot at the graveyard, I think before that scene all of you were going on about, and it's CGI rain, because there was no way to make rain come from that angle using traditional means. So, uh, you know, back when CGI cost a shitload of money, it's funny to think there's one shot where they're like, we can't make the rain, sir. We gotta break out the fucking silicon graphics into go to. Uh, the one kind of, like, unintentionally funny thing that I kind of think back on whenever I do just think of, like, some of the visuals in that scene is specifically how many lightning strikes happen. It, it, it's almost like his parents are just, like, telling him no up from heaven <laughs> and just setting lightning strikes. Every lightning strike is just a no, you can't be happy. There is just some mm-hmm. dude in an outdoor pool who's just really trying his luck that day. <laughs> He's just chilling in the pool like, they're not gonna get me. And then Max Aria shows up. On a different note, the wings are wealthy entrepreneurs. They're in hell. Let's be real here. Probably. Yeah. You can tell from the painting, they didn't make it into heaven. I wanted to know, because the creators were talking about basically Warner Brothers, they let this be in theaters for like a week and they only gave it matinee showings, so it got like cannibalized because they had a different film they wanted to promote and not like have it fuck with that film's box office. Guess what the film was? Oh no. It was Grumpy Old Men. Oh my god. (laughs) That is the film that's hoovered in all the money and made Mask of Phantasm not profitable. It's a film none of us have probably ever seen. I get this is the studio that fucked up the release of The Iron Giant, but cannibalizing a Batman film so you can boost grumpy old men is just nuts. What's fascinating is that this movie not doing well at the box office caused the studios for like 25 years to be convinced that even though live action superhero movies would make up a booga bucks at the box office, they 
they had themselves convinced that if you made it animated, it wouldn't make that much money. Uh, hopefully, after the last two Spider-Verse movies, they will realize that, no, they just fucked up Batman. Yeah, that's the lesson that I was hoping would be learned from Spider-Verse, is that maybe animated comic book movie can be good if you give it a budget and give it proper releasing, and not just, uh, we need to make everything multiverses. But we'll see what ends up happening. One thing I want to mention real quick, there's a shot in this movie that I'm fairly certain is an homage to Akira. Everybody knows the bike slide, but yeah. this is a different shot. There's a shot where Batman is fighting off the bikers and he jumps up and uh, punches one of the bikers in the face and there's a, a side shot of him like getting knocked over, which I'm fairly certain is recreating a shot from Akira where Kaneda runs at one of the clowns and kicks him in the face. I've seen that shot, I'm like, that's some Akira shit. And they, they did the different one, which makes it cool. But if nobody else has anything they need to say, let's get into trivia. 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 Trivia time. This is the first comic book movie to be nominated for an Annie Award for Best Animated Feature. It lost to The Lion King. Another comic book movie that wasn't nominated until Big Hero 6, and Into the Spider-Verse was the first one to actually win. Austin kind of talked about the Andrea Beaumont inspirations already, but I will also mention that she's loosely based on Judson Caspian and Rachel Caspian from the Batman Year 2 comic. The CGI Gotham shown in the opening credits was intended to be used in the show as sort of a virtual set to replace the painted backgrounds and make production a little bit easier, but never ended up being used for that purpose. And finally, this film was originally going to be the conclusion of Batman the Animated Series because it was coming right after their 65 episode run. It was originally going to be a two-part episode called Masks featuring the year two villain Reaper. Alright, so that is going to do it for this episode. Let's get into final thoughts. We'll start with Rain. Uh, great little movie with um, great emotional moments. Good time. Awesome show. Joe, final thoughts. If you're not going to see this movie for like all the incredible things that we talked about today, at least see this movie for probably the best Joker laugh ever, which is at the very end of this fucking movie. Mm. Yeah, I remember watching video compilations on YouTube and just like top 10 Joker moments or whatever, and uh, they would always have that laugh at the end. Uh, Austin, final thoughts. Are you in my age bracket? Were you sad when Tara and Beast Boy didn't get together at the end of Teen Titans? Ooh. Do you want to feel that emptiness again, but even cooler this time? Check out Batman, the Mask of Phantasm. Hell yeah. Tanner, final thoughts. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am the best Batman movie! Yeah! Hell yeah. I think that's all I have to say. Insert the clip of Barack Obama and Batman Brave and the Bold here. There's someone very special who would like to personally thank you. Mr. O'Brien, I don't speak for all the people of Earth when I say that you are a real American hero. Gee, thanks! Hell yeah. Uh, Ethan, uh, final thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think this is a really excellent feature entry, particularly in, like, that wonderful renaissance era of television, animation, and it feels like a real culmination of things building up to this with stuff, like, as silly as it sounds, like Tiny Toons and creator-driven cartoons, all culminating in this wonderfully tight feature that, despite being made up ostensibly of, you know, a little bit more than the budget for three episodes, feels like a real big, proper movie film, uh, 
and tells an exceptional story and is representative of there's like a whole show with hundreds of episodes and they're all of pretty darn close quality to this exceptional feature and that rules mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I'm just really glad that we could discuss it and celebrate the career of uh, Kevin Conroy and Arlene Sorkin even if it's only in a brief cameo by her Absolutely. Uh, my final thoughts. This is an incredible Batman film. It is definitely one of my favorites. I'm not sure if it's my number one, but it's up there for sure. It's an incredible feat by the team of the animated series, which, like Ethan was saying, it's a lot of this. It's just a lot of really good shit. Uh, you should definitely watch it if you haven't watched it already. It's a great culmination of Kevin Conroy's take on Batman. There was a 4K release that just came out recently. If you get that, you can watch the film, and you can also watch a short documentary on Kevin Conroy where people talk about what we were talking about but they're like smart and actually knew him and worked with him so they have more articulate things to say about him but this is definitely a great movie and you should watch it but uh you know who else should watch it oh you citizen of gotham Thank you for tuning in to Bomb Squad Movie Night. Leave a comment below and let us know. What do you think of Mask of the Phantasm? What do you think of Kevin Conroy's take on Batman? What's your favorite Batman movie? What's your favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series? Comment below, let us know. If you're listening on the audio platforms, please give us some kind of review or rating, whatever your podcatcher of choice lets you do. Uh, If you're watching on Spotify video, we hope you enjoyed our unsent censored not safe for tv profanity how about you uh, donate to our patreon give us some beans we'd really appreciate some beans hit the like button to let us know you are vengeance hit the subscribe button to let us know you are the knight and hit the bell icon to let us know that you are batman Tune in next week as we kick off spooky season by going back to hell while we talk about Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Should be a good spooky time and we have such sights to show you. Thank you once again for tuning in. And remember, no matter how dark the night gets, it's always okay to let yourself be happy. Kevin Conroy and Arlene Sorkin, thank you for everything you gave us and you will live on forever. Farewell. I am... No, you're not. Are you going to finish that croissant?